Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's good to see you to our online friends. Glad you're with us too. Hope we can see you in person sometime soon too. There's nothing, I tell you what, to hear you all singing that last song, um, You're Worthy of My Song, which in my opinion is the greatest worship song ever written. If you need it, kids can go to Big House. You are dismissed to go. If you've ever been in a place where you needed a song that said, in blessing or in pain, you are worthy. You know that song speaks powerfully, and to hear you sing spoke powerfully to me this morning, so thank you. I want to start with Psalm 62, 1 through 4. I will wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Selah. Now, we're in the third week of a series called Selah, and that's a word found in the Psalms and in one other Old Testament book that I've, we're defining here as a pause to contemplate to reflect, to be present where we are rather than always pushing, running, chasing after someplace we would rather be some better life we think we deserve. So to just the re to recap the last two weeks, the question we want to answer is, as followers of Jesus, why do our lives so often look so little like his? Because the things that seem to define our existence and characterize so much of our identity today, I'm so busy, I'm so tired, I'm always in a hurry, I'm running behind, I'm stretched thin, just go, go, go all the time. Those aren't things we see in Jesus. I think it's safe to say he might have accomplished more in his three years of ministry than most of us do in a lifetime. But it was always at the pace the Father set for him. His life had a rhythm, born of his intimacy with his father. He said, I only do what the father tells me to do. I only say what the father gives me to say. I only know what he says because I spend time listening to him. And so for us to follow is to imitate. Our ambition should be to incorporate the practices which Jesus used to stay rooted in the will of the father. Traditional practices, yes, like Sabbath and prayer and fasting and solitude and scripture and simplicity and community, but there are some others. Last week, we're looking at the story of a prophet from the Old Testament named Elijah, and last week, we said sometimes you just need to prioritize a nap and a snack. You need daily or weekly or regular practices of caring for your body, physical practices that bear spiritual fruit. Did you all make any resolves this week? You know what? I could change that thing. Anybody? You don't have to tell me. Raise a finger. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well, today is not a daily, weekly, or hopefully not even a regular practice. It may not be something you think of as a practice, but it's something that when life demands it, we all need. So we're going to turn again to 1 Kings chapter 19. And resume the story of Elijah. And again, if you weren't here last week, if you're not familiar with the story, he went from the highest of highs where God used him 
to make a powerful demonstration that our God is the true God and the other gods are false. And so Elijah is the prophet of God who got to stand up and, and preside over this triumphant moment of this is the true God, everybody worship him. And in an instant, he was on the run for his life because he angered some very powerful people. And so he ran by himself and in a place of darkness and despair, he said, God, I just want to die. So God said, eat sleep, and then go where I tell you. And he went to Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's where we find him as we pick up today in 1 Kings 19, verse 9. So there at Mount Horeb, he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He's scared. He's lonely. What is he, what's he doing? What do you call Elijah's little monologue? Now you may think, well, he's, he's whining, he's complaining. Some of you may say he's just being a realist. He's assessing the landscape, and this is what he sees. The biblical word that we're going to use is lament. He is lamenting what has happened. God, I've tried to do everything right, and nobody, nobody wants any part of what you're doing, and I'm paying the price for their disobedience. He's expressing the sorrow of where he is. Selah is being present in your circumstances, taking time to reflect. And he's had time to reflect. Elijah's been on the run for at least six weeks. I mean, physically on the run. And on the way, mentally, emotionally, he's had time to reflect. And now it pours out. So God asks, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm alone. I'm afraid. I'm betrayed. I'm disappointed. I'm confused, God. None of this makes sense to me. I don't understand how I got to this place. I don't understand why things are the way they are. I don't understand you, God. You've called me to this ministry, and it's going to be the death of me. This isn't fair. In 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, the end of 4, start of 5, the Apostle Paul gives this great anthem of hope. And promise. He says, This is what we can expect as followers of Jesus. We know that the one who raised Jesus will raise us as well. We have this promise. He says, These light and momentary problems, troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of those things. He says, We know that if this tent is destroyed, we have an eternal home waiting for us in heaven. And we say, Yes, Lord, we want more of that. And then Paul says these words, meanwhile, we groan. You ever groan? Oh, there are different kinds. When you get out of bed in the morning, if you're of a certain age, you might groan. If you talk to David Long and he says, yep, yep, yep. Patty said I should do lunges to stay in shape. That would be a big step forward. <laughs> you groan. Oh. Today, if you're a Purdue basketball fan, you might groan. <laughs> uh. 
When you watch someone you love struggle, when you watch your kid fail, that's another kind of groan, isn't it? I want to let you know my dad passed away at 6 o'clock this morning. And our hearts are sad, but man, are we, are we rejoicing because we have groaned with him for months. Lament is groaning because our universe is disordered. There are things which shouldn't be, which are. Lament is not complaining, it's not whining, it's not demanding answers and shaking our fists. It's simply expressing to God, this circumstance I'm in, this season I'm experiencing, God, your ways are not making sense to me. And I'm afraid, I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm sad. That's lament. And it's okay to practice lament because Jesus practiced lament. In Matthew 22, I got new handkerchiefs this week. I knew I need one. <laughs> in Matthew 22, as Jesus is nearing the end of his life, as he comes into the city for the final time, he stops and he's on a hill overlooking the city. And he says, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Now your house is left to you desolate. Lament, an expression of grief and loss and everything you hoped would happen that didn't. You didn't get the promotion. Your kids didn't get the part. You didn't make the grade. You didn't make the cut. And in the church, sometimes we're not very good at lament. We think we have to pretend everything's okay, everything's good, everything's fine. And I forget who I stole it from, but it's a great line, and I've used it before. You can't be right with God until you're real with God. Sometimes you just have to lament. I'm curious, does, does anybody practice lament as part of your spiritual formation? Some of you might say, practice, I'm a pro. <laughs> yeah, it's not healthy. It's not good to always be there, but it's equally unhealthy, maybe more so, to avoid and to never go there. I mean, has anybody ever lost anything? Your kids grow up, friends grow apart. Has anybody ever been disappointed with God because of something he didn't do? What do you do with that? What you don't need is, count your blessings, brother. That's a legitimate practice, too, to praise in spite of or in the middle of hard times. What you need to do with that is lament. Now, if you don't know how, the Bible is full of examples. There's a list of psalms here. <clears throat> you might want to screenshot that in case you need it sometime. These are lament Psalms, but they simply say, God, this is hard. I don't understand. Let me just read some of the things they say. 
My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all along, where is your God? I'm worn out calling for help. My eyes fail looking for my God. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Did you know you could say those things to God? There are basically three themes in the lament psalms, and we've talked about some of this before. Number one, my sin has caught up to me and my misery is my fault. I've made choices that have landed me in this spot, and God, I need help getting out because I can't do it on my own. Number two, I have enemies who are pursuing and surrounding me, and my bad season, I know whose fault it is, and God, I want you to do something about it. And third, God, I've done everything I know to do, and you're still not helping me. And from where I stand, it sure looks like my misery is your fault, God. And we say, whoa. These psalms are the songs and prayers and journals of the spiritual lives of people like you and me who sometimes woke up and felt like their whole worlds had been turned upside down. And sometimes these psalms of lament have a Selah moment where they say, I'm going to sit here for a minute. And then they turn to reminders of God's faithfulness and promise and hope. But sometimes they just lament. Psalm 77 says, I, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God, and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. <sighs> Selah. I have to stay in this place. Then it continues, you don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Selah. Now this psalm was written by a man named Asaph who is the worship leader at the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you're familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, with the Old Testament story, you know what happened to Asaph. Right after he wrote this, he and his whole family were consumed by a giant lightning bolt from heaven, and the earth swallowed them, and they were never heard from again, right? No, that is not what happened. No voice from, from heaven thundered, How dare you? No. Asaph kept writing psalms. But how can one of the psalms be so raw? It's unresolved. It's messy. It's painful. How did that make the cut to be in our Bible? Because it reflects life. And that's the enigma of the Christian life. We aren't immune 
We all go through chapters, sometimes long chapters, where we have those same questions. Are you there? God, are you paying attention? Do you care? And psalms like this are written to show us how to lament. Because in the anger of all the anger, in the middle of all the anger and frustration and confusion and doubt and sadness and betrayal, this writer felt, rather than let it drive him away from God, I'm done. He said, I'm bringing it to you, God. This is who I am. This is where I am. This is how I feel. God, this is what faithful looks like right now. I'm just going to vent. It's all I have to bring. And what he found was a God who is big enough to handle it, who welcomes it, who wants it, because he wants our hearts. So in dark seasons and in hard days, one of the biggest acts of faith you can do is to simply lament, to honestly honestly express, God, this is where I am. Selah. By giving voice to your despair and your hopelessness, you're saying, God, with whatever strength I have, I cling to believing that your love is deeper and greater. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a fear and many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. How do I know that He hears? How do I know that he cares? How do I know that he hasn't turned his back on me? Because of something a man named Isaiah wrote about one who was to come, the promised one, the longed for one, the hope of generations. In Isaiah 53, he, looking ahead to the Messiah, to Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. It didn't make any sense. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Whatever season we're going through, he knows He went there before us. He knows the way through. And he isn't just on the other side calling, come on, you can do it. He's walking with us. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. By his wounds, we are healed. Because he was punished, we have peace. Because of his death, we have life. We have a future. We have hope. We have a promise. But meanwhile, sometimes we groan. So here's your assignment. Here's my assignment this week. You can join me if you like. 
write a psalm to God. We did this assignment right at the start of, I think maybe the first Sunday we were locked down in COVID, and it's good to revisit again, a practice for when we need it. I pray that we all have days, seasons, when we can write psalms of praise and victory, but sometimes we need to write psalms of lament. So start by identifying losses which bring you pain. People, health, relationships, opportunities, jobs, innocence, anything that you've lost that brings you pain. And then don't run from it. Don't say, but it's okay. No, hold it up. Admit that you're angry with yourself, with others, even with God. And a psalm doesn't have to sound like a psalm. You can compose a text message if you need to. Write an email. Say, God, I blew it. I've lost so much and I'm just sad. God, life isn't fair and people are mean and I'm just unhappy. God, I don't understand why you let that thing happen. I've really been questioning if you're good or not, and it kind of feels like I'm on my own here. You can say those things. Matter of fact, don't just write it. Read it out loud as a psalm to God. I promise he can handle it. No lightning bolts. How dare you? Maybe even read it aloud with a trusted Christian friend because there is great power in allowing someone else to bring Christ's light into your darkness. And then whether you believe it or not, thank him for hearing your groans. I'm going to sing till my heart starts praising. I'm going to worship till I mean every word. Maybe your psalm will turn to praise halfway through. I pray that it does. But maybe it's still messy and unresolved. If it is, keep writing. Let's all keep writing together a book of psalms written with our lives about the God who doesn't stand distant from our struggles, but who entered into them with us. And then, because of his obedience, Jesus took his place at the right hand of the Father and promised us that where he is, we will one day be. And until that day, until that promise is fulfilled, meanwhile, we groan, but not alone. I opened with Psalm 62. He said, I have so many enemies. They're telling so many lies. They have so many plans to destroy me. Selah, but that wasn't the end of that psalm. So I want to conclude the way he did. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And in this, the words of one who's been through the fire. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Let's pray.
God, I wish I could say this is the most unnecessary message I've ever preached because everybody's lives are good and nothing's ever hard. That's just a silly fantasy. Life is life. But God, you are still God. So in those seasons, when nothing makes sense, God, point us back to your son. The one who didn't open his mouth to complain, but remained silent as a lamb, and bore our groaning for us. God, just call us to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus, to love Jesus. So that one day, Father, when your promises are completely fulfilled, we can see Jesus and be with Jesus because he's opened the way. God, draw us to yourself. We ask this by the power of Jesus' name. Amen.